Good morning, everyone. So we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 11 and chapter 12 today. Let's jump on in. Verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord as follows. Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel. So by way of reminder, uh, we are dealing with the southern kingdom of Israel, uh, the kingdom of Judah. Uh, The northern kingdom, what was called Israel, uh, had already been um, uh, infiltrated, captivated, uh, exiled basically by the Assyrians and uh, now they're uh, knocking on the door and um, God through Jeremiah is speaking to Judah and primarily the heart of that which was Jerusalem uh, basically out of the 12 tribes there were just two left um, Judah and the small tribe of Benjamin and uh, here we go thus says the Lord the God of Israel Cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Listen to my voice and do all that I command you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God, that I may confirm the oath that I swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as at this day. Then I answered, So be it, Lord. We talked to while back that um, there have been several approaches that God has taken to remind the Israel how things have gone badly. Uh, One of the earlier descriptions was uh, of the marriage covenant and that basically God was uh, bringing uh, a divorce proceeding against them. And so he was saying, hey, you've you've broken the marriage vows and I'm going to divorce you. And here we have a reminder of a different um, way of looking at it, uh, this time through the concept of you've broken the covenant. And this concept is going to go on for the next you know, 15 or 20 chapters, uh, so kind of get used to it. Um, and by way of remembrance, there were some reforms that were in the process of being instituted by uh, the King Josiah, and this had been fueled by the discovery um, of a lost book of Deuteronomy. So if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, you can turn there if you want, you don't have to, but this is, um, Deuteronomy is like when the law was given again, right? And verse 1 says, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord. And it goes on, Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field, and blessed shall be the fruit of your wound, and so forth. Blessings, blessings, blessings. And it was a conditional covenant, right? It said, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God. Conditional covenants have 
consequences if you break them. And we see that down in verse 15. It says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. That word kind of strikes me both times when you think about how amazing it would be for the blessings of God to be so amazing that they overtake you, that they come up behind you and swell up over you and so overwhelm you and encompass you. That's the blessings. But then we have this very same word, if you will not obey, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And if this sounds familiar, this is the opposite. Verse 16, it says, Curse shall you be in the city, and curse shall you be in the field. Curse shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Curse shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increases of your herds and the young flock. Curse shall you be when you come in, and cursed you shall be when you go out. Back to Jeremiah. Now... God is reminding them. You remember what I said? You remember what I said? Verse 6. And the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently even to this day, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. That could be a description of where we are today, right? Everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. Underline, circle, make a mental note where it says stubbornness of his evil heart. Verse 9. Again, the Lord said to me, a conspiracy exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. They've gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel, that's the northern crew, and the house of Judah, that's the southern crew, have broken my covenant that I have made with their fathers. Thus says the Lord. Behold, I am bringing disaster upon them that they cannot escape. This word disaster is the same word that was translated evil in verse, in verse uh, 8. So, I am bringing disaster upon them because of the disaster that's in their evil heart. That's the same word. Uh, and... This, uh, much of this was spoken, right? So, again, picture um, this probably very eloquent and persuasive mouthpiece for God, Jeremiah, using these same words but twisting them to drive home the point. Because of your evil slash disastrous heart, God is going to visit that disaster upon them that they cannot escape. Back in verse 11. Though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to the gods to whom they make offerings, but they cannot save them in the time of their trouble. 
For your gods have become as many as your cities, O Judah, and as many of the, as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars you have set up to shame, altars to make offerings to Baal. You've got as many gods as you've got streets. Let's see how well they'll help you out. You're going to cry to me, I'm not going to listen. Verse 14. As we saw back in chapter 7, we hear this instruction to Jeremiah. Therefore, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer on their behalf because I will not listen when they call in their time of trouble. What right has my beloved in my house when she has done many vile deeds? Uh, again, this is a kind of a flashback to this marriage covenant, this broken covenant. Can even sacrificial flesh avert your doom? Can you then exult? The Lord once called you a green olive tree, beautiful with good fruit, but with the roar of a great tempest, he will set fire to it. Its branches will be consumed. The Lord of hosts who planted you has decreed disaster among you because of the evil. There's those words again, disaster and evil. Because of the evil that the house of Israel and the house of Judah have done, provoking me to anger by making offerings to Baal. Uh, there is a conspiracy, it says in verse 9, among the men of Judah, basically a conspiracy against these reforms that Josiah was putting into place, a conspiracy against the covenant, you might say. We'll hear about another conspiracy in a moment. Verse 18, though, says we, we shift from prose to poetry. Uh, your Bible may change the formatting a little bit, as mine does. It says, the Lord made it known to me, and I knew. Then you showed me their deeds, but I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me. They devised schemes, saying, let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. But, O Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Verse 21. Now we have a conspiracy against Jeremiah himself. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life and say, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, or you will die by our hand. These men of Anathoth, Anathoth, that was his hometown. These are guys from Jeremiah's hometown that attract him down to snuff him out, literally, because they do not like what he's talking about. And whether they're saying, oh, he's going to, you know, this looks bad for us. Right? Everybody knows Jeremiah's from our hometown. This looks bad for us. Nobody likes what he's saying. Uh, he's fairly unpopular right now. He's saying things no one wants to hear. Uh, we're going to basically kill the messenger. Verse 22. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. None of them shall be left, for I will bring disaster upon the men of Anathoth, the year of their punishment. So we have broken covenant. We have um, the uh, description of what's actually happening, right? Um, the conspiracy against the king's reforms, you might say, um, and the, the warning that... that Basically, God says this has gone on so far, gone on for so long, and has gone so far that don't even bother praying for them because it's inevitable. 
um, what's going to happen to them. And then this little tagline in, ver in chapter 11 um, telling Jeremiah, look, I'm going to take care of these people who are after you. Chapter 12. Now, Jeremiah speaks up a bit. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? It seems like that sometimes, doesn't it? That the rich, the famous, the powerful, the number of rich, famous, powerful, popular Christians is a very short-lived list. I'd be hard-pressed to write down five names right now that could meet all those characteristics. Why do, why does, rather, the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. This seems like the opposite of the curses that were coming to God's people, right? You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. That's interesting, right? You know, they talk the talk, but their heart is not with you. Verse 3, But you, O Lord, know me. You see and test my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. Uh, you know, Lord, you know me. Um, please deal with them. Verse 4, How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither for the evil of those who dwell in it? The beasts and the birds are swept away because they said he will not see our latter end. Is it okay to complain? Yes. yes. It is okay to is it okay to complain to God? Yes. yes. Psalms are full of that. Is it okay to want bad for your enemies? Well. That's a trick question, right? <laughs> Uh, what, what are we supposed to do? There's a New Testament flashback. What are we supposed to do for our enemies? We're supposed to pray for them. Let me rephrase the question. Is it okay to want justice for your enemies? Yes. Yes. I think that's fair. <laughs> um, recognizing, you know, we usually want justice for our enemies and we want grace for ourselves. Guilty, right? You hurt me. God, please hurt them. <clears throat> but God doesn't say, well, you hurt me, so I'm necessarily going to hurt you. you know? So it's... it's uh, the New Covenant, so, so amazing that we're in the New Covenant. But in some ways, it, it, it's a different economy right we 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 have to we have to behave a little differently but the concept is it okay to complain i think absolutely it's okay to complain is it okay to question why absolutely is it okay to have doubts i certainly hope so because i think we all do all of those things but he was complaining to god he was complaining to god everybody 
Or was he complaining to everybody else? Uh, he, in this case, he was complaining to God. And that's, that's generally what I'm saying. Verse 5. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with the horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? For even your brothers in the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. This may not be the answer Jeremiah was looking for. Basically saying, you've actually had it fine. It's going to get worse. You've been racing with men on foot, and they've wearied you. How are you going to do when the horses come? <laughs> it's probably not what he was looking for. This kind of sounds uh, uh, like a passage that would come out of Job, right? You think it's bad now. Wait. Um, he's saying, you know, to Jeremiah, his prophet, um, your life as a prophet is not going to be measured by your comfort, by how easy things are. Um, you know, it's going to get worse. It's going to get harder. There's going to be more work to do, right? If you've raced with men on foot and they've wearied you, how will you compete with horses? I think that's that's a um, uh, that's a I don't know that's a T-shirt that's a song. There's something to be unpacked there, um, and you know I think about you know Dad mentioned um, the Supreme Court's uh, reversal of the Roe v. Wade decision in the Planned Parenthood, Casey component, and so forth. Um, are we right to celebrate that um, uh, of course. But, but this may be our equivalent of racing on foot, and the horses may still be coming. So I think most people are recognizing, if people are being thoughtful, that that the real work, so to speak, of supporting life may be just ahead of us. Um, and if you think about it, a common enemy unites a lot of people, right? If you use kind of stark terms and say, you know, evangelicals, Catholics, you know, many other people with whom we may not always agree theologically, it's been easy to unite against a common enemy if bad law was our enemy in this case. Not necessarily the people, but the, the law. But if, if that's done, so to speak, and of course I know there's state things that need to happen and so forth, but, but we need to realize there's, there's more work ahead and without... Um, as clear a, um, an objective, it might be harder to have 
as focused work. Does that make sense? Um, you know, how does pro-life intersect with, you know, proper gun regulation? How does pro-life intersect with supporting adoption? How does pro-life intersect with um, the rights of the elderly who can't speak for themselves? How does pro-life intersect, um, you know, racial disparities and social issues? Um, it may get more murky um, and that may make it harder, right? And that's where it's always going to be great to make sure that, you know, you're basing whatever your objectives are, whatever God's leading you to, to do, that you're grounded on Scripture because it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep you on the right path, so to speak, um, even though social things may change. How will you compete with the horses? All right, verse 7. Um, further, further discussion here. Uh, further description about what has happened in this covenant. Verse 7, it says, I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. My heritage has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has lifted up her voice against me, and therefore I hate her. Is my heritage to me, heritage to me, like a hyena's lair? Are the birds of prey again all around? Go, assemble all the wild beasts, bring them to devour. Many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They have trampled down my portion. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it a desolation, desolate. It mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate, but no man lays it to heart upon all the bare heights in the desert. Destroyers have come. For the sword of the Lord devours from one end of the land to the other. No flesh has peace. They have sown wheat and reaped thorns. They have tired themselves but profit nothing. They shall be ashamed of their har harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. God is lamenting. You can, you can see that he just laments how, you know, this is his. How many times I, I, I highlighted him. My heritage, my heritage, my heritage, my portion, my portion. This, you know, we saw before, God takes this separation, this covenant breaking of his people. He takes it personally, right? Remember the illustration I said, you know, this was not like the Israelites um, having the... Uh, equivalent of a traffic ticket which is kind of no harm no foul oh yeah we broke a few things yeah okay no this was a this was this was adultery this was a personal sin this was betrayal and you can see just how personal that is there it's going to be contrasted God's talked about his heritage but there's still this other part out there that says he hasn't forgotten his people. He hasn't given up on them. That begins in verse 14. Thus says the Lord concerning all my evil neighbors who touch the heritage that I have given my people Israel to inherit. So now the focus is 
I've given my people an inheritance. I've given my people an, uh, uh, some heritage, and this is what I'm going to do to the people that are um, afflicting them, so to speak. Thus says the Lord concerning all my evil neighbors who touch the heritage that I have given my people Israel to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them up from their land, and I will pluck up the house of Judah from among them. And after I have plucked them up, I will again have compassion on them. I will bring them again, each to his heritage and each to his land. And it shall come to pass, if they will diligently learn the ways of my people, to swear by my name, as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. But if any nation will not listen, then I will utterly pluck it up and destroy it, declares the Lord. So interestingly, he's going to pluck up Israel, uh, Judah rather, and the neighbors that are around them. But those neighbors are going to be given a chance to say, to swear by my name as the Lord lives. To turn from swearing by Baal and to swear by his name. And then it says, then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. They're going to start to receive some of that blessing. So this is interesting, right? This is interesting that even in the old covenant days, it wasn't just about ancestry. It wasn't just about lineage. It was ultimately about who is your allegiance to? Who are you going to devote your life to? Who are you going to swear by that name and, and thereby order your household, right? You're going to get rid of those idols. You're going to worship the one God. That's, you know, if they did that, then they were going to be part of that future blessing. As I was going through all this and, and I was highlighting all this, the times that the word heritage and so forth showed up, I started thinking that um, nowadays you don't hear perhaps as much people thinking about their legacy, their heritage. You know, we live in such times of immediacy, we don't, we don't think about future generations as much. Um, or at least, I don't see it as much. Um, but I think it's proper that we do think about those things, that we think about what our future is going to be, how can we order things to be better, and, you know, it's the opposite now, right? Somebody posts something on social media, and if you don't have somebody put a little heart next to it within the next five minutes, you think, what happened? Does nobody like that? Right? And if somebody hasn't replied to your text in like, you know, an hour, then you're worried, right? What happened then? Did they lose their phone? You know, did they, you know, what, are, are we okay? You know, did, did, did I say something? You know, what, what happened, right? It's all so immediate. But here, you know, he's talking about heritage and, and, you know, legacy and those sorts of things. 
And I just think that if there was some way that we could kind of broaden our scope and the way we live and to really look forward, um, and I'm kind of speaking to myself here, you know, I mean, I still feel like a, a fairly new member of the, the grandparent club and, and um, you know, the grandkids are, are very little. And, uh, you know, what, what's the role going to be like for them? You know, what, what do I need to be doing to make things better for them? Um, and I think collectively we think we need to do that as well. Um, it got me thinking about the pilgrims. Often at around Thanksgiving, I'll, I'll read the passage from, I think it's uh, Bradford's book, where he talks about the reasons that they left England. And it was basically because um, they wanted a better life for their children. Um, their children were going bonkers with the culture, and they wanted to take them away from all that. Uh, there was, you know, they couldn't worship freely and all that. Um, of course, before they went to America, they went to the Netherlands, right? And they had religious freedom there, but it was economically hard times, and then they went, came to, uh, came to these shores. Uh, but it was rough for them. But they, they did it for their kids. They did it for their, their legacy. And um, it's just, it's a different way to live, right? If you're living for what's going to happen in the next week, or month or year, it's different than you live, you know, okay, where am I 20 years from now, uh, 30 years from now, you know, what? where are kids going to be? Uh, yeah. Covenants, heritage, running the race on foot, and then even faster than that. A uh, lot of concepts in those couple chapters. Uh, what I miss? What I miss? Anything strike you? All right, well, you're being sweet. I know I must have missed something. <laughs> All right, well, there's more to come. Stay tuned. Uh, plenty more chapters in uh, Jeremiah, so, uh, so hang in there. By the way, I would... Um, if you want, there's a really good article by Ed Stetzer, uh, who's um, with Wheaton, writes a lot. He had a, uh, an article in USA Today. But you can look up his comments um, that came out. It was after the opinion was, or the potential opinion was leaked several weeks ago. But he, he laid out three things that we ought to be about um, after Roe as Christians, you know, how to, how to keep moving forward in the way that we need to be in it. So I would certainly I recommend that article to you. All right, let's close. Father, we do thank you that we are in this covenant that uh, you have um, brought us into your family, that you have chosen to bless us. Um, Father, we pray that you'd give us a, a look as to um, what you want your legacy to be uh, here and now. Keep us um, mindful of uh, orienting our lives around you um, rather than our own culture. And uh, I pray that you'd help us each to find the answer of, of where our place is uh, in, that, in that movement um, and the work that you have before us. Uh, we thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.